Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. Hey, we just wanted to talk about Rise and Build um, for a few moments. Uh, those of you who know, once a year we take up an offering um, that we contribute to, well, whatever in the past it's gone to planning churches in places like uh, Canada, Vancouver, Canada. It's, gone, it's helping to plant a church right now in Miami, Florida. Um, it's helped to plant churches here in Australia. Uh, it helped us launch our Gunnada church. It ensured we renovated this building. It's the seed money for our kids' clubs. And it is how we're able to, in part, in part, it's a much bigger story, and I'm simplifying here, in part, um, purchase the building next door and for us to stand here debt-free, which is a truly miraculous story. And so this year's Rise and Build, we've talked about, um, uh, you know, starting something that starts with us and outlasts us as we complete that project, which will take about another $300,000. And so I remember when I said that the other week, uh, there was a couple of gasps. Um, $300,000 is actually not a lot of money. And uh, I want to show you how. But as I do, I want to read you a scripture uh, from the Bible. Some of you have heard me talk from this, but I, I'm hoping this morning that, that God does something in our hearts that would see about a miracle, just a miracle, um, work go on through our church. And in Acts 6, it says, In those days when the number of disciples um, was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. I don't know if you know it. I'm going to briefly capture it for you, I hope. Um, it's good to know that the early church was like us. Sometimes we get this utopian view of the early church. Heck no. They had it all going on. And so they were overlooking widows. The leaders were leaving widows hungry. How do we, we sure know that they weren't getting it all right either? It takes grace to build a local church. And so, but what we see here is that they had a problem it was really a big problem for them. And then in verse 7, just a few verses later, the Bible says, So the word of God spread. The number of disciples um, increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. In verse 1, they've got a problem. And in verse 7, they've got revival. When I see a problem, and a few verses later, I see revival, I want to know what happened in between. I'll tell you what didn't happen in between. I'm thankful for it. There wasn't 40 days of prayer and fasting. Aren't you thankful for that? Now, there's a time for that, absolutely. There's a, well, maybe not 40 days if you're busy, but there's a time for that. But in this case, all that happened between a problem fix and revival come was that they built in some leadership capacity. That's what they did. They took a whole bunch of leaders and planted them in, created a new structure, and they went from a problem to fix to revival coming. And so this morning, as you think about Rise and Build, I'm going to show you something on the screen in just a moment, then we're going to wrap this little bit. But as you think about Rise and Build, if you haven't already, I want us to see what happens, what God does when there's a challenge and then we build in capacity, and in this case it's building, and then God moves. Because we can be part of me being here next year talking about again and the year after talking about again, and that will all be fine. But we can see something supernatural happen. We can see something that's not normal happen. We can see a challenge to, you know, work, because it's not a problem to fix for us yet, a challenge to work 
and we can seed or we can build in the capacity for something to happen, something God to happen in your time, in my time. I don't want to hear about what happened in the last generation. I'm inspired by it, but I could care less about it. I want to see something happen now in our time, in our day, a tipping point in our generation, people coming to faith in Christ, stories like the one we just heard. If you knew that story, it is so miraculous. Freedom from, I don't know how much freedom I've got to speak, so I won't, but you can ask Esther about it. It is truly miraculous what God has done for them. And you know, God can do that for all kinds of people. When I think about this rise and build, I close my eyes and I do this. I imagine buildings, this building and next building, completely renovated and transformed. I imagine people flooding out and flooding in. And then what I do after that, I picture a woman, because I know a little bit about this. I picture a woman who's in a domestic violence situation, who's walking into church for the first time with her little kids. And I imagine her surrendering her life to Christ. And I imagine the children growing up in the house of God. And I imagine them going on and serving God. Why do I imagine that? Because that's my story. We can do something today that actually changes things. We can do something that builds in capacity for God to move. So I'm going to show you some numbers on the screen. Here they come. If out of this service, something like 25 people committed to giving $50 a week until Rise and Build next year. Oh, here it is. Did I get it right? 30 people. Look at this. 30 people at $50 a week for 12 months equals $62,500. 100 people in this room or in this morning congregation, because this is a October long weekend is about the smallest service of the year for us, apart from January 1st. If 100 people committed to $25 a week for one year or for 50 weeks, that's $125,000. If 25 people at $10 a week, that would be $12,500. It's just out of the AM service. That's what, $187,97, $199,000 by a maximum commitment of $50 a week. If we then add in the PM service, because they're a bit slacker, um, we only want 12 people at 50 bucks um, and 40 people at 25 and 25 at 15. That figure comes to $313,750 and we've had 155, 67, 207, 232 people out of a church of approximately 800 regular attenders give those amounts of money and we're at $313,000. This is not a big number. This number is so small that it's almost embarrassing in terms of what we could get done. And I want to ask you today to prayerfully, in the moments ahead before we even leave the building if you can, to prayerfully consider what you might do, what your household might do, and let's get this done. Let's speed the coming of what God's got coming next. Amen. There's a lot of stuff that happens at the front here, usually in a service that you can't see. And, and uh, one of the people who helps us was starting and they got told that I like my water cracked open but not touched. And when I met the person, I said, um, please, please know that uh, I am not that kind of prima donna. Um, I just got a bit confused because I don't like people drinking my water or touching my food. And so if you do, it now becomes yours. It's your drink and it's your food. So if you're hungry, a good way to get it is just, just touch what I'm eating. You can have it. But I don't need my water cracked and uh, I can take care of it. So, kids' dinner. If you're a kid, dinner's ready. Even wrote it down, Candy. It's amazing. I know. It's incredible. Two weeks in a row, 
three, four, five years in the making, and uh, we're on fire. Uh, the Bible says in Genesis 1, God spoke. What a moment. You know, it's such a, um, that the gods speak, well, singular God, plural God, that God speaks is an incredible thought. And God spoke and it says, let us make human beings in our, our image, make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible, you know, fish of the sea, birds of the air, cattle, etc., earth itself and every animal that moves on the face of the planet. And God created them, created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them. And listen to what God says when God speaks. The first thing he ever says to the human race, this is what he says to the first people. Prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge. I love that. When God speaks, he says, hey, here are my first words to the human race. Prosper, reproduce, fill the earth and take charge. I was talking to Anthony this morning and and I said to him, we're, we're talking about the transformation in his life. And it is a stunning transformation. And, and, um, and, and I was saying, he, he was talking about how confident, you know, God's made him and whatever. And I said, I remember, I remember the first time literally walking up uh, the big W, whatever that thing is, you know. What is it? Escalator. Something. Whatever it is. You know what I'm talking about. Travelator. And I was walking up there and I was going into a meeting. I used to work for Arnott's back in the day and I just remember going up there and, and I just this on the inside of me I felt so like I'm in control like I'm in charge that whatever happens when I walk into this room actually I'm the person who holds all the cards is it an arrogant statement no I don't think so it's because of God it's because of who he is and what he's declared and I just from that day to this most of the time I had a little season of insecurity which we're going to talk about in our PM service next week. That'll be enlightening for you. I was like, how am I going to do this series? And Bron said, you should talk about that. And I'll talk about that next week. But for the most part, walk into a room, I feel confident because of this, because God's given me authority, because God is over everything. He is in charge. He is on the throne. He is on the move. His name is above every name. So when I walk into a meeting or a negotiation or a contract thing or whatever it is, I have this sense that, I have authority that I am here to prosper, that I am the blessed because that's who God made us to be. And so the first thing God says is this, and he talks about it, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge. And, and, then, and then the Bible goes on. And so in this life, um, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's, kind of, there's an authority in life that God has given to us. And that authority in life starts with, Ruling our own heart. That's where it starts. Yeah. If I'm going to have any authority, any authority in any sphere, um, the, hello, welcome home. Uh, Sarah Gollan and Isabella Bunnell, who are trying to sneak in quietly, um, have been in Grafton with Bron doing the worship for their church and preaching and all the rest of it today. So it's good to have you back. Um, but we, we have, or we carry an, an authority in life that starts with ruling our heart. Proverbs chapter Four and verse 23, um, we're taking this somewhere we might not have been before, so stay with me, says uh, this. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Uh, 
Above all else, guard your heart because, in another version, the issues of life flow out of it, right? The, the everything flows from the heart. If I'm going to live with authority, if I'm going to live uh, with authority in life, and I'm going to see this declaration that God made to the first humans with his first interaction, if I'm going to see that a reality in my life in any way, uh, having authority over my heart is where it starts. And so I want to talk about this idea with you for a few minutes today. Um, an authority that we have in life that flows, well, will finds its start uh, in the way we rule our heart. And um, I want to take you to... Ah, that's why. Great. We're back. I'm like, what's that page? Um, so let's look at this idea. Because if you can get, and if I can get, authority over my heart in the right direction going on, um, it can, it, it's a game changer. It does something. And so I want to take you to, uh, it's going to seem odd at first, 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. And, and I'm going to read to you from... Um, Verse 16, I think it's going to come on the screen behind me. Uh, David is bringing back the ark, you know, uh, for those with a church or Bible background, the ark of the covenant in those days was to represent the presence of God and, and it hadn't been with God's people and, and because it hadn't, blessing had fallen elsewhere where the ark was located and David finally gets over what's happened in the past and gets fired up in his soul and he says, I'm bring it back, let's go do this thing. And so David in verse 16, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. So this is David's wife. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Uh, has anyone else ever read that and thought, I don't know if I want to have dinner with this chick. Like, she's not really, she's not positive enough for me. But I want you to stay with me because I don't want to give her a bad rap tonight. I actually want to see something that actually can affect you and I. They brought the ark of David and set it in the place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. And, and, uh, and then he you know, did the sacrifice, verse 19, gave a loaf of bread and a cake of dates uh, and of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of the Israelites, both men and women. This was a big deal. And all the people went to their homes. And when David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of all the slave girls and his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father, because her father was Saul, anyone from his house, when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by, but by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honour. And listen to this, what happened. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. What the heck is going on? Now, I don't want to be too hard on her because if you did what David did, we're like all for it. We all get that David was just dancing before the Lord. But if anyone tries it here tonight, pretty confident that it's not going to go down so well. We'll have a quiet conversation with you afterwards. 
But, but we get that David, this was a spontaneous act and it was a way of him worshipping God. And when he walks into his wife, it all shifts. I mean, David has done what will become, what he has been the inspiration behind one of the great uh, events as it relates to his life and this generation. I mean, when, when everything is finally done, they will look back and even we do and go, that was one of the great moments under the rule of David. That was one of the great moments in the generation of his rule and amongst that people. And then we look at Michal and go, what's wrong with her? Everyone else is celebrating. I do. I did. Um, everyone else is celebrating. Everyone else is getting on with it. And, you know, when David came in, there should have been a celebration going on. I mean, when you win, I want to celebrate. I'm not, I don't want to feel in any way negatively impacted by that. You win, we all win. So, so when David comes in, surely his wife would go, man, this is awesome. What God has done and what God has done through you and how this has unfolded for us, the Ark of the Covenant has come back to us and now I know that God will go before us and God is in, uh, His presence is with us and His blessing will be upon us. That, that's what any of us think she should have said, right? And she doesn't and for the rest of her life she remains barren. And if you and I get that, as far removed as we are from it, why didn't she? And I want us to see that actually she did get it. But her heart, as you'll see, was is in such a place that she missed it. She got it. She understood. She was the daughter of a king. She was a husband of a husband. She was a wife of a king. She got this. She was Jewish to a core. She knew about the ark. Her husband was a psalm writer, a Bible reader. This was not lost on her, and yet she comes up with this. And so here's what I want us to do. 1 Samuel, we're going to go to these verses. Watch what happens because uh, this can happen to us. And we need to rule our heart. We need to take authority over our heart. Life can be very different if we get this right. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 20 and 21 might come on the screen. Now Saul's daughter, Michal, so now we go back, she's a teenager, we think. Go back, she's a teenager. Was in love with David, right? David, who she just despised. She was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, Saul about it, her dad, he was pleased. Next verse. I will give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a snare to him and so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. I mean, my heart's breaking already. So Saul said to David, now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. Verse 22. Or is that it? That's it. Michal loves David. And her dad leverages the fact. That's devastating. Saul finds out that his daughter's got a crush. And he decides he's going to leverage it as an opportunity. Let's go... Her dad could have covered her over, I've written here. Instead, he exposes and exploits her. And that's devastating. I can't imagine in my wildest dreams doing that to one of my daughters. And, uh, and while I'm there, if I can just for a moment just to the man just say, hey, let's never be found to be those who would not exploit but even expose. I don't even want to expose my wife. You know, my wife is like you, got way more faults than me, 
And no, my wife is great, but she's got faults like anyone. But I don't want to be the one who exposes her. I think as husbands, even when things are bad, we should never expose our wives, never be that person. And generally just women, if I could say it. Like, let's not expose women. If you want to expose someone, don't expose another bloke. But if you're going to, make it male. And let's make sure we do the right thing. Let's, let's cover over for women. Let's make sure that men are men. Men want to make points of things that really are irrelevant and be a man where it doesn't really matter. Let's be men who make a stand where it matters. Let's be men who defend where it matters. Let's be men who do the right thing where it counts, you know, and not where, not where it doesn't matter. Who cares what you can do? You know, tonight they'll play a footy game. I played footy. I used to judge men on their ability to be courageous on a footy field. It's nonsense. It doesn't mean anything. But how I might treat a woman, that means something. And so let's, let's not do what Saul did. Let's never be found to be like that. He exposed his daughter and that must have broken her heart. And so she takes a hit here and her heart is damaged. And, and she fails to deal with it is what we find out and that her heart is just damaged by this, right? Whose heart wouldn't be damaged if your dad... And what she was meant to do was actually take what was in her heart and just get rid of it and deal with it there. But she doesn't. She lets it build up and it sits there. And then, so let's go to the next one. 1 Samuel chapter 19, verses 11 to 18. Again, Saul sent men to David's house to watch it. So, so Saul gives his daughter in marriage because David does what Saul requires. But Saul's intent was that she never get to marry him. Saul's intent was that she, die, she live with a broken heart because David would be killed. I mean, that, imagine that. And she realizes that down the track. And, and so here we move on. Next scene, Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, listened to this legend of a woman, warned him, if you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. Remember, it's her father and her husband. You reckon you've got like family tensions at Christmas, right? It's her father and her husband and her father's trying to kill her husband. And she goes, no, I'm going to make sure he's okay. Verse 12. So Michal let David down through a window and he fled and escaped. Let's just keep going through these verses. Then Michal took an idol and laid it on the bed. I mean, this woman is taking big risks. Her life is at stake now, covering it with a garment and putting some goat's hair at the head. When Saul sent the men to capture David, Michal said, he is ill. Then Saul sent the men back to see David and told them, bring him up to me in his bed so that I may kill him. But when the men entered, there was the idol in the bed and at the head was some goat's hair. You're wondering how they didn't know. Of course, they didn't have lighting like ours. Saul said to Michal, why did you deceive me like this? He's their father. Why did you deceive me like this and send my enemy away so that he escaped? And Michal told him, he said to me, let me get away. Why should I kill you? When David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel went to, and it goes on. Here's the thing. Macau has to make a decision between her father and her husband and her father. He doesn't disown her, but, well, it's not good. But here's what I want you to catch. When we go to the next passage, or maybe I'll just tell you about it, something happens. David doesn't come back for her. I want you to capture this. She's just risked her life. She's just isolated herself from her family. She's risked it all and gave it up all and David leaves and doesn't come back. David marries two more women before he calls for her. And by the time he calls for her, she has been married to a man that loves her. 
And David says, ah, I don't care. You will take her from him and you will bring her to me. The Bible says that the man went all the way to David. Remember how David left her just to go? Some of you got hard, anyone feeling the tension towards David, you know, the great champion of the Bible, anyone feeling that? When I read this, when I realized this, I started to feel that against David. Like, David's my ultimate superhero apart from Jesus. And I started to feel some things towards him. And I'm several thousand years removed from the incident. I'm not the woman at the center of it. And so Michal is there and, and David marries these two other women, still hasn't come back, two women later. He's on out there doing his thing. People love him. And then finally, David calls for her. She's now remarried because Saul married her off again. And, but the man loves her and comes dragging his feet all the way and pleads with David. He, the Bible says he wept with tears basically all the way there. And he pleaded his cause. This man humbled himself. This man was undignified because of his love for a woman. And Michal is plucked from that man's love and put back in the hand of David. Do you think you'd have something in your heart to get over? when the king walks through the door and all the people are celebrating his name. But you know, whatever has happened to Macau, she's still got to rule the heart and she's still got to deal with the trash and she's still got to get it out of her spirit because if she doesn't do that, it's going to get in and we'll get this kind of outcome. And so the Bible moves on and David's careless with a heart and all that kind of thing. And this guy, you know, who clearly loved her, has moved in and all this has happened in her heart is, uh, it's damaged. And, and if we were not Christians today, if we were not a church, some people would say it was irreversibly damaged. But it's never irreversibly damaged. Whatever thoughts we have on David, you know, David's life was threatened. David's life was on the brink. David was lied about. David had the wrong thing done to him. He, he was chased by Saul. He lived on the run. His name was mud. His own men turned their back on him and wanted to crucify, not crucify, wanted to stone him to death. David might have done the, some wrong here, but David across his life, when he was faced with similar circumstances, he just kept dealing with what would be trash in his heart and bitterness towards others and all the things that happen in life, and he deals with it so there's nothing left in here. And, and, and the lie would be for us to go, it's okay for me to hang on to this. Darren, you don't know how much so-and-so hurt me. I don't know how much so-and-so hurt you. But I do know that if I hold on to this, I end up like Macau. When I hold on to this, the authority that God has given me has just found its limit in where it can go because if I won't take authority over my heart, I'll never be able to live with authority in this life. And so when her husband walks through the door in one of the great moments in their generation, instead of her being able to stand and embrace and celebrate a move of God in their times, she responds with a spirit that is toxic and will leave her barren. And if we're honest, who can blame her? But why would you want to leave her there? Now, sometimes, can I just, as a side note, sometimes people got things going on in their heart. And what happens is people come alongside, well-meaning people come alongside and confirm that it's okay to hold on to it. It's never okay. 
Someone comes and says, you know, that person really hurt me. I, go, oh, I know. You know, that, they do that. I just wouldn't speak to them again. Well, we just created a Macau situation. No, it needs more courage than that. It needs more love than that. You know, in the recent debate, love wins. We got this shallow sort of headline conversation around love. Now, love speaks the truth in love. Love speaks the truth. Sorry, whatever I just said, I confused it myself. I confused me. It's not hard to do. So they, but sometimes it just needs that. So, so some thoughts, Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart, for out of it comes everything. Here's one, Proverbs 25.28 on the screen. This is so powerful, this verse. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. I love the opposite. Whoever does have a rule over their spirit is like an impenetrable impenetrable city who cannot be taken. In the Old Testament, when this was written, you know, the walls were the protection of the city. Most of you would have seen a movie about that. It says, when, when you have no rule over your spirit, no take no authority over our heart, we end up being, we're just, it, it'll be like, I go around my house. We had a break-in years ago. I go around my house, you know, I don't know what you do. I go around my house every night, lock every window, lock every door. If Bron's away and I'm worried I'm going to sleep heavy, I'll put spoons in the window because I'm going to hear that spoon and God help that person if they're in my house and near my kids. For the longest time, I had a bar next to my bed. If you come through the window, I used to leave my window open so they couldn't come through the kids. But God help you, I hope at least, if you come through that window. Well, the Bible says that when we don't rule our heart, we're like that house with doors wide open, with broken windows. Anyone can come in any old time they like. But if we rule our spirit, we're like an impenetrable city. Psalm 41, 45, verse 1. says, My heart is stirred with a noble theme. And why don't we just continue to stir great themes in our heart? Let's continue to stir great themes. Let the people themes that are going to stir in our heart, let those, the themes that other people stir in our heart, let them be great themes. And then, you know, when the Holy Spirit, when He's trying to stir a theme in our heart, let's be the kind of people that not only respond to it, but stir it in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen? Awesome. God bless you. Thank you. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.